Hello and welcome to the Your Prep Sports uh, Football Preview Podcast, for lack of a better name. You know what, Ryan? We didn't think of a name for this thing, so that's what we're going with. We talked about this thing for how long and we <laughs> nobody even mentioned what we were going to call it. Details, details. That's why there was, that's why I was like, there's dead air at the beginning of this that I'll probably cut out when I edit the podcast and the video. But I was thinking to myself, what the heck is this thing called? <laughs> <laughs> that other voice you're hearing is Ryan Merkin, publisher of Your Prep Sports. And uh, if hopefully you guys enjoyed our, our Seven Nation podcast that we did, uh, that we recorded on Monday. Uh, this was our, our other idea. Uh, that just focuses on on football games and football previewing. Uh, this is the last week of the regular season, so a good time to jump in with this. Um, I basically would just go through the local teams and and what Ryan thinks of each of these games, throw some numbers your way, uh, and get you prepared for the week. And uh, as per usual, the last week of the season is going to be important, Ryan. And um, we, you know, let's start with uh, two local teams matching up going head to head we've got uh one and two liberty high at one and two city high and we talked a little bit monday on this budding rivalry um, yeah city is city one uh in 2018 liberty edged them uh edged the little hawks last year um, both of these teams coming off a tough loss uh in their return uh from the shutdown uh the covid shutdown when, when schools were online um, I guess just generally, before I ask specifics, what do you see? What do you see in this one? And, and just kind of what do you anticipate on Friday night? We talked in the Seven Nation pod about this one quite a bit. I'm, you put it really well. To get these good rivalries, it, the rivalries always become good when you get really good games, right? And these teams started out right off the bat. I, I think it was 38-21 or something that first year. That was Liberty's first varsity game ever. City won that one. But that was a really good game, back and forth. And then last year was a great game. Um, Liberty hit a, hit a field goal basically as time expired to win it. And so they've quickly developed a really nice rivalry, you know, competitive games. Um, this one, we talked about this a little on Monday too. This one, the, my first instinct always is you look at what teams are doing the last couple weeks, right? You know, what did they do last week? I just kind of threw last week out for both of these teams, Rob. I saw both of them in their final game before the shutdown. Um, City at, at West and, and Liberty played Cedar Rapids Jefferson. And that's kind of what I, as I looked at this game, that's kind of what I had in my memory is these two teams when they were, they'd been practicing for a month leading up to the season. They'd played a couple games, that second game of the season for both these teams. I don't know what you take out of last week when these teams hadn't been able to to officially practice with coaches and have regular practice for three weeks. And then they come back and get, you know, six days to practice and then play a game. And both those teams played teams that had, had continued to play, you know, so. I think I it's important you really... to mention too, Ryan, in, in addition to that, and we mentioned this on Monday, it wasn't like when they weren't playing games that they were having practices with the coaches. They had to practice on their own. So that's, right. it's not only that you're away from competition, you're away from development. Right. And exactly. I mean, going three weeks without playing a game. I mean, you, you see it in a normal year, what teams look like in that first game and what coaches think that they look like in that first game when you haven't played since, you know, last fall or, or in the, right. you know, 
in college you haven't played since spring, but even in spring you're playing against one another and just the way teams look early. And that's when you're practicing for multiple hours a day, you know, and they were able to do things together. And I, I think from talking to people, all of, all those three Iowa City schools did a really good job. The kids showed some leadership. They got together. And, and the coaches could co- communicate with them, you know, via however they wanted to, Zoom or email or whatever, and, and you know, give them workouts, give them, challenge them. But that's not like playing a game with the adrenaline that comes on Friday night and the game – the quote unquote game shape, but, but all those things. So they both lost last week. Um, and I kind of just throw that out and, and look at when I thought about this week, as we were preparing for this, I'm like, okay, go back in my memory bank. What did I think that they looked like in week two, you know, when they, when they were playing and this one to me, like I said, these have been really fun games. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this one. And I told you, I, I love stats. I don't have a ton of numbers for this game, but kind of what I'm looking at here is it's no secret with Liberty. Um, and, and since Jeff Gordon's been there, since they've had their varsity program, this is the probably the worst kept secret of this game, like terrible analysis. They want to run the ball. I mean, that's what they're built around. They've gotten better each week. I think they rushed for like 95 yards against West Iowa. You know, Liberty, they were breaking some new linemen. Um, but they've gotten better each week. Last week, they had season highs in their first week back. They had season highs in points, total yards, yards per play. So you know, they're making progress on, on offense. The thing that you're looking for in this game is, it, it seems pretty simple, but their ability to run versus City High's ability to stop the run. Obviously, you know, it's the most elementary thing in, in football, kind of, but the big thing for me is what can Liberty get out of its passing game? You know, because City High is going to, as you might expect, they're going to, I would imagine, you know, Coach Sabres is going to have a really good plan. I imagine they're going to have a lot of guys at the line of scrimmage, a lot of guys in the box. What can Liberty do in its passing game? It was better last week. Um, James McKinney and Ty Hughes kind of shared the quarterback duties it looked like last week. James McKinney's a really good athlete. He's really important in their run game. You know, he threw for 74 yards last week, so hopefully that's something that he can kind of build on. And then that's going to be, I think, the big key for them is if they're not able to pound out, you know, 200 yards against City High rushing, what can they get out of their pass game as far as moving the ball? And then for City High, it's kind of the same thing, quarterback play. I mentioned this the week of the West High game. Um, and I remember who I was talking to, but I said, you know, after that West High game with City High and, and it got, got away from City High, what I think was kind of going, and then you have the shutdown, what I think kind of went untalked about a little bit for them was Rafe Hamilton is playing really, really good football for them right now, Rob. That's, you know, senior, City High senior quarterback, Rafe Hamilton. He's been really good. He's playing, and he's a three-year starter, but he, he was really good in that West High game. And that kind of went, kind of goes unnoticed when the game gets away from you a little bit. But Rafe's thrown for 460 yards and four touchdowns, rushed for 198 yards and three touchdowns, and he's averaging five yards a carry. Um, and he's a big physical kid. And that's kind of, as I look at this game, if something could tip the scales either way in what I think is a really even game, experience a quarterback, right? I mean, you have a, you have a three-year quarterback. He's been in this game both times. He's been in rivalry games. He's playing really well, and that's something that I think maybe 
that and playing at home. City High has been much better at home the past few years than what they have been on the road. They've been really good at home. So that's something that I look at for them. And then one other stat, I threw this out last week on the um, on Marcus Morgan. I'm a big I'm a big yards per play guy, Rob. Okay, so no, some I like people that are like, stat. I'm with you. Some people just look at total offense, and you can get teams like City High that have these long the way they want to play. Right. City High can really condense a game. You've seen them. They they have some of these long 12, 13, 14 yard, five yards of pop running drives, and you only get so many so many possessions. So you look at things like total yards, and I think it gets skewed a little bit, but yards per play, I think, is a pretty good one. And then we were talking, I was talking about the yards per play that Marcus Morgan was involved in last week. Gable Mitchell for City High does a little bit of everything. He's thrown a touchdown pass, ran for a touchdown. He has 10 catches for 224 yards and two touchdowns. But he's thrown three passes this year. So this includes two plays that ended with incompletions, but plays that he offensive snaps in which he touches the football city high average is 17.2 yards a play so and he'll return punts for you he returns punts for him too and kicks so that's something where if you're watching the game and you're looking for that kind of big play that could swing the game too keep an eye on number eight he's a really good football player as well so you'll grandson see him if you follow of, the ball but grandson of dan gable yep. son of brian mitchell uh for yep. Baseball play, player, City yep. High baseball player. Now he's a City High baseball coach, correct? Correct. Yep. So good, good bloodlines. Blood yeah. And he's, and he's a great, he's a great, incredible baseball player. Is that his um, best sport? Yeah. He's, he's a switch hitting shortstop. That's nice. I mean, I watch, I love baseball. He's, he's as good of a defensive shortstop as at the high school level for, I mean, he was a sophomore last year that, I've seen in a long time, but he's a really tough kid. And he's, he's a dynamic football player too. I mean, that's like I said, you know, 17.2 yards, 17 yards per play every time he touches it, he's a difference maker. Um, and, and that, and then one other thing I just thought of actually, as I was mentioning him returning kicks, this is again, the, the cliched, Hey, watch for this in close, even games, but it's so true. Special teams um, talked to, to Dan Sabres before the season and he, he just really felt like they were going to be improved, which is something I met, mentioned last week. And, and I, again, I think they are a much better team. But one thing that Coach Sabers felt really good about before the season was how much improvement they made on special teams. And then, you know, West High returned a kick for a touchdown in that game. Um, I think Linmar had a kickoff for a touchdown return last week. That was an a onside kick, I think, on the last play of the game. But they've had some breakdowns. And that's something I know – from talking to them that they've really put a lot of emphasis on. And that's something that, you know, for both teams, kind of keep an eye on that in that game, you know, is something that could maybe tip the scales. Because I really do think it's a really even game. They've played pretty even games the last two years. I think these are two teams that are relatively even matched, evenly matched up. So it's, that's going to be a fun game. And, and hopefully there's a good atmosphere uh, for it too. Cause that's kind of what, that's what adds to these, you know, just a, just a good energy, I should say. That's what kind of adds to these local rivalries. You know, we were, we were talking about it with Solon and Mount Vernon, but that's what makes them fun. For sure. Um, I'm going to ask you, uh, 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 do you have um, – are you aware of any injuries, guys that maybe got hurt last week, guys coming back from injury, anything there that can impact this game? I don't know a lot. Jamari Newsom, which is their leading rusher the first two weeks, didn't play last week about Lindmar yeah, right? or at Lindmar. I'm not sure – like – you know, I, I wish I knew. I'm not sure where they're at with that. but How much does that impact, though, whether he plays or doesn't play? I mean, how much of the impact can that have on the game? That, a lot. I mean, definitely. He's, he's an explosive player in their run game, 
And that's that. I mean, they have, like I mentioned, Hamilton. Mm-hmm. He's really good. They run him in that quarterback zone, and he's averaging five yards a carry, but he's a 230 pound guy. Ben Keeter, state champion wrestler, they use him at fullback. He's going to be a really good player. He is, they kind of used him in a more expanded rushing role last week, and they have some other guys back there, but you're talking about a team that hasn't gotten a ton of explosive plays in the run game the last couple years, and, and Newsom's a guy that can give it to you when he's out there. So that's a big difference for them as well. And then, you know, when we look at the rushing stats, I mentioned that about Liberty. I should mention they were without Max Tafoya, who's a Tafoya, who's a thousand yard back for them last year, who was injured in the first game against West High and then had a handful of carries in the Jefferson game and, and left that and didn't come back. So they're a different team when he's in there too. So something to keep an eye on in the backfields for both teams who's in there because it definitely impacts both those teams. And Tafoya, did he play last week? I believe that he did. Okay. Um, one thing that else, and we'll move on to the next game. Uh, it used to be the norm, but now it's the exception more than than that than the rule. Grass fields, as a oh yeah. Turf. I mean, they're playing on a grass field Friday night. Does that favor one team or the other? What you know? What do they? What, I you're so right because that was for the longest time. I remember when I was in high school and guys would go play at the Unidome and it was because, right. you know, you're playing turf and what's it going to be like playing on turf and all this stuff. And now you're right. It's just kind of, I mean, you know, West has turf and Solon has turf and Clear Creek has turf. And uh, I mean, I'm, and Liberty has turf. And now it's like you play now when you talk to coaches, it used to always be, Hey, can we find some turf to get on if we're going to play Cedar Falls? And right. now it's like, hey, can we find some grass? Can we get on our grass practice field? Because we're going to play on somebody that has grass. It's kind of the way it's become. But what – correct me if I'm wrong, Rob. Cause, I mean, this, I'm sure this comes up in, in your conversation with covering Iowa and coaches. But it was always kind of like that fast track on the turf benefited the, 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 speed the, the skill guys, the speed yeah. guys, and you could neutralize it. And then everybody jokes. It's like you have the – Ryan Field at Northwestern, where it looks like my backyard in the middle of July. It hasn't been mowed in two divots coming out when guys are running on that stuff. It's just like, it's like a tractor kicking up sod. Bates is a great surface, though, too. And I I just saw somebody on Twitter this week um, that was like, you know, the hill I'm willing to die on is that all football should be played on grass fields, you know. I agree with that. There is something, though, when you have a really nice grass field, and I don't care if it's college, you know, you see some of those fields in the SEC or in the South that are just, you know, it's the Bermuda grass or whatever it is, and it's just Iowa State's is great. I've been down there on the Iowa State field. They do a wonderful job, and that that thing held up pretty pretty well last year during that monsoon for the Cyhawk game. It's great. Like, and again, I think it's great. It's just the thing you worry about in Iowa is what, you know, you saw it a couple of years ago when they played Drake or, you know, yeah. even, even I think late in that season, they right. played K state and you get, you get some rain and then you get an early frost or an early freeze and, you know, they're heating it and they've got the blanket on it and everything that some of these high schools can't even do. But no, that's another one that looks great. Bates. What I think maybe it is, I think these teams are similar athlete wise. You know, they both really want to run the football, and that's what they did last year. It's With both these teams, it's a ton of stuff in between the tackles. They, these teams both want to win the line of scrimmage, and everybody wants to win the line of scrimmage. You know that, but that is probably the number one mindset with these two programs and has been, you know, for a long time. 
you know, Coach Saber is an old school guy. He wants to run the football. He wants to win the line of scrimmage. Jeff Gordon, I mean, that's really what they tried to build the early stages, the early pillars of that program on, being physical, winning up front. So I don't know if the field, but like I said, City's been really good at Bates. And that's a, you're familiar with City High. You know, it's a very, it's a traditionally strong program, but they take their traditions in all sports real seriously, the history of that place. And it's really special for those kids and the coaches playing at Bates. Like, and I mean, it's got a great atmosphere, great energy about that stadium. I think that's maybe more than, than the field is. City's really very serious about defending its home field, as, as everybody is, but those kids take a lot of pride in it, I know, each class. So that would be a good one. I'm, I really am interested to see how that one turns out. And partly it's what we said last year or last week. What do you make of some of these teams, you know, right. after, the, after the shutdown? Both teams have to clean some stuff up, obviously, but I see that one as a really evenly matched game. Um, as you people that are looking at this video and, and my gray beard know that I'm old. Um, <laughs> I covered Jeff Gordon when he played at West High back in the late 90s. Um, he was on state championship teams there and uh, really good football. My Bruce Davis is on his staff, another guy who was a really good running back at West High. So I, I think there's the transition for those guys, Ryan, going from 3A to 4A, but they'll figure it out. And I think Friday night's game is a good next step for them in this transition and, and move, the move up to 4A. And that's something that there's no question that, that it's, you know, you got to make it's – a, it's a different style of play sometimes too. You know, you see teams that, are, that do different things. But the other thing too is they had a – and I'm not taking anything away from this year's team at all, but they had a really good senior class last year too. So not only do they make that step up this year, but they had to, they had to replace a lot of starters right. and a lot of good players, you know? And so it's kind of what we talked about with um, coach Stanton at Solon, where you walk in and not only do you have a new coach, but then you're also filling a bunch of holes and important right. positions and multi-year starters. Um, they had a different thing where they're moving up a class. They're facing new opponents that they don't have, you know, they don't have a his, they don't have a book on they don't have a report on and you can get all that stuff and watch film and, and obviously their staff's going to do that but you don't have that hey let's look at what we did against them last year you know or, or see how see how this worked against them or how we could do this you don't have that and then also you know you're replacing a quarterback for the first time you're replacing you know some key guys on the offensive line and, and just a lot of really good leaders within that program a lot of those kids that that started that program when it was a freshman team you know, and then a sophomore team and then all the way up. So they had that continuity. And now kind of for the first time, you're, you're having to plug a lot of new guys in that maybe haven't played at that. So they'll get there. I mean, for sure. And, and, and that's the other thing that's tough about them not playing, you know, for three weeks is I really do think that this was a year that they could have just used every single rep that they could get on the game field, on the practice field or whatever, but they'll get there. There's no question about that. Great point. So we'll go from uh, we'll go from the east side of Iowa City, where where Liberty and, and City High will meet at Bates Field, to the west side of Iowa City, where two and two Cedar Rapids Kennedy uh, is at Class Four A, number eight ranked West High. Uh, West High has won three in a row. Kennedy was coming is coming off a big season where they made the semis last year. Uh, both of these teams have dealt with COVID in a different way, <laughs> you know. Uh, Kennedy uh, had to shut down. We've, we've gone over the Iowa City School District 
uh, situation. Um, what do we see here? Two, two pretty physical football teams, right, Ryan? Yeah. They, this, is, this is one that, you circle, that I circle on the calendar right away. You know, and that's before, obviously, we knew that I think Kennedy missed a, a game or two. They're two and two, so they missed a couple. Right. West missed three. Um, but you circle that. You see these two playing in week seven it, when they release the schedules, and you're like, all right, you know, get a seat there. Because these are two of the premier programs on the eastern side of the state for, you know, the last five. I, I looked at Kennedy. Their seasons the past five years, 10 and two, six and four, six and three. Five and four, 13 and one. So you have a state semifinalist in there, a state runner up in there. And anybody that follows knows it's really hard to get to the uni. It's hard to get to the uni dome in any class. You know, in 4A, it's really tough. And there's some, some giant programs in the state, you know, the, the Bettendorfs and some of those places that are just really tough to get past on an annual year. And Wes and Kennedy have done it on this side of the state, you know, for the last decade, going on a decade, whatever, as, as well as anybody else. And um, this, they, they played, this is another one. I just said this about City and Liberty for two years now. These are two teams that always play really good games. Um, they haven't played for a few years. I think the last time they played was in 08. But they had, uh, right when Garrett Hartwig took over at West, they had some really good ones. They had like a, I think it was actually his first, uh, Coach Hartwig's first game, like a 10-7. I think it was 12-9, like one of those <laughs> that you're like, they, like West won. And I just remember, um, Coach Harvey after the game, like you could tell he was happy and relieved, but he was just like, "What did I just watch?" Type of thing. <laughs> just, um, and then the next year they opened. That was an opener, and then the next year it was like forty-five, forty-one or something. So they've just played really good games. But you hit the nail on the head. Kennedy, really well coached, really physical. One of the best linemen in the state. I'm sure you've watched some film on on uh, Connor Colby. He is really the best impre- lineman in the state. I'll go out and I, we talked about proclamations on this show. I will tell you, he is the best line. I mean, you don't get offered by Ohio State and Michigan unless you can play. Right. He's one of those guys. It's like I, I'm again, no football expertise, and when it comes to line play, like forget about it. But he he's noticeable, isn't he? I mean, he's like asked. you watch a couple. You he watch plays, a couple. Series. He plays with an edge. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. You watch a couple series, and you're like, or you know, probably a couple plays, and you're like, oh, okay, like I know who, like I know the guy that I'm supposed to be watching. Like you don't need to find him in the program, right? Like, but and that's, I mean, that's what they do. They're really physical. Their quarterback Max White, um, really, really tough kid. He's 190, son, 200. Right? What's that? He's the coach's son. Yep, 200 pound. 190, 200 pound kid. I just saw he's getting some, some good looks or offers as a preferred walk on from like some power fives I've seen. He's visited um, Iowa on multiple occasions. Good player. Yep. Good. And, and he's just, he's our quarterback. He's a leader, coach's kid, but he's a good runner. I mean, he's going to run and, and I think he's rushed for, I have it here, 742 yards and 11 TDs. So we talked about it before. I'm going to talk about it probably on every single one of these games. Like, they want to win the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. And that's – you look at West on paper and, and you look at their difference makers, a quarterback, right, and he puts up a bunch of stats. And when you look at West on paper, and they know this. I've had kids – I've had their players tell me this. They're like, oh, yeah, people are like, yeah, they're a seven-on-seven team and stuff. And Garrett's – Coach Hartwig's told me this multiple times. Um, I think he told me this after the first game of the year. Or maybe it was after the City High game. He's like, our line's going to be overlooked all year 
on both sides. And he's like, that is fine. But their strength and conditioning coach, staff, coaches do a great job over there at West. They're always really strong. They have really good athletes on both lines. And it's easy for people like us. You do overlook it because we talk about a kid like Connor Colby who is, and we should, he's that good. But West doesn't have that guy that's, you know, has major attention on either line. They're probably undersized, especially on the defensive line. But they're really good on both fronts. And then, I mean, I looked at it. Um, Kennedy's averaging 298 rushing yards a game. West, West has given up 150. They're holding teams under four yards a carry. You know, so it's like they're good against the run. In, in this one, it really is that simple. They're going to try to run the ball. I mean, I think um, Kennedy's, you know, I think White's throwing it for like th- roughly 300 yards this year. I mean, they're going to try to run the football. And, and if they can have success doing it, they're going to be successful. West has an explosive offense. They're going to hit some big plays. Like I told, we talked about Marcus Morgan a lot last week. Mm-hmm. I think he's playing at an incredibly high level. West High is going to score points. It's going to be their defense holding up. And again, I really like the way that I think, you know, Coach Hartwig said it well. We're going to be overlooked on that side of the ball, and that's okay. They have really, West High has high school. We're talking high school football here, Friday nights, what goes on between the lines. They have a really good set of linebackers. Um, they really do. They have a really nice set of linebackers that, that kind of control some things for them. And I think West is going to be able to do enough slowing them down and, and making them one-dimensional, you know, taking away any threat of a pass game to, to be successful here. But don't overthink this one. I guess if you're going, if you're going to watch this, don't overthink it. Line of scrimmage. You know, can, can, Kennedy, can Kennedy run the football successfully, consistently enough to win? I mean, that's where, that's where I see this one coming down to. Yeah, and it seems like, Ryan, you know, that, that is kind of game flow. If Kennedy's able to run the ball, control the clock, that keeps West High's explosive offense and Marcus Morgan off the field. Absolutely. Like, they would, you know, for them to win this, and I, I say this watch, it'll be 63 to 56, Rob. <laughs> but it's like they, they probably want to win this thing, like, you know, 21 to 14, right? You know, I mean, I'm, Ken, if you're being realistic. But, yeah, they want to grind it down. Have, we were just talking about it before, the yards per play versus the, versus the total yards. They want to limit possessions, keep West offense off the field. You know, and, and if they do give up big plays, answer that with a, with a 14-play touchdown drive. You know, and just really shorten that game, grind the clock. And they can do it, too. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they're good enough to do it. They hang their hat on that. But that's going to be the thing for West is kind of, you know, withstanding that a little bit and then letting their offense do its thing. But this that's, like I said, if you're looking for a key, don't overthink it. You know, it's, it's the line of scrimmage, especially, you know, when Kennedy has the ball. Because I, I think West High's offense is too good not to score points. You know, it's just going to be can you can you get them off the field on on when West is on defense? Can you get them off the field? Can you avoid those those real long you know time consuming touchdown drives? All right, from uh, Iowa City West High, we'll move a little bit further west. Um, oh, here. West, sorry, um, <laughs> we've got uh, four and two Grinnell at four and two Clear Creek. This looks like a good matchup on paper. Um, Wyatt Hunter. Leads the state with 1,521 rushing yards and 23 touchdowns. And keep in mind, this isn't the normal ninth week yeah. of the season. This is the <laughs> seventh week of the season for right. them. To put those numbers in perspective. 
uh, averaging 493 total yards a game, the Tigers are, 44.5 points, 320 rushing yards. Ryan, sounds like the Clear Creek defense has its work cut out for it. This is, this is the game that I plan to be at. Um, we have, for picking the first week to do this, Rob, and we talked about this for a while, you know, we had to get it going, we had it in the works, but right. we have great, we have some really interesting games this week. You know, when you throw in the City Liberty, again, Kennedy and, or Kennedy and, and West, two really good programs, but th- I'm really excited to watch this game. I'm excited to watch Wyatt Hunter. Like, you know, he had a game with uh, 453 yards rushing and seven touchdowns. So it's like you hear that and you're like, okay, I kind of want to see this kid, whether he's on the western side of the state or whatever. And when I when I saw they're playing Clear Creek, I'm like, all right, like, and he's a big physical kid, but man, their offensive numbers, <laughs> Rob. So I went and I'm as I'm doing my prep, I'm like, all right, I gotta go through Hunter's numbers, you know, and see per game uh-huh. as he's doing what he's done. And he's gone 165 yards, 228, 246. 453, 221, 208 to get to his, you know, 1,500 yards. But as I was looking at that, I was like, man, I got to look at their their total yard, their rushing totals. I was looking at their rushing totals, and I thought, I thought it was their total yardage. So I'm looking, it's like 196, 319, 306, 525, 295, 280. I'm going, wow, that's really good. They're averaging like 320 yards a game. Like that's pretty good for a high school team. It's their rushing average. And they're also, I mean, a lot of those games, they, their first three games, they threw it for over 200 yards too. So they're averaging, yeah, almost 500 yards of offense a game, 44 and a half points. And then you throw in what we talked about last on Monday for our seven nation pod about how much we both like watching the clear Creek offense. Like this has fireworks. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just really excited. This has maybe has been as exciting. And I love a good, you know, three to two game as much as the next guy, Rob. No, you don't. A, a good 10 to seven, <laughs> 14 to 10. Like, I don't mind well, watching. A photographer, them. that's not cool. <laughs> no, that's a, lot of, that's a lot of ball between the hash marks and you just shooting piles <laughs> piles of people over and over and over again. But yes. I got this, another, Ryan, that Clear Creek – is up for this though you look at those you know you're if you're a defense if you're a competitor yeah the state's leading rusher coming to town with an explosive offense as a defense you're like let's have it bring it on no absolutely and that's what i was gonna i was gonna get that's what i was gonna say if you as a coach i feel like when you have a really good back you're like well he might as well have two thousand yards something that will really get people's attention right Right. because and and i mean they're gonna need it they're going to need to be fully locked in on him and this offense. We, I think we mentioned it the other day, you know, former West coach, Brian Souser is the, is the coach at Grinnell. They are really good on offense. And I'm in, in, I mean, they're a good team. You know, they're, they lost last week. Their, their two losses are to Cedar up Xavier and Harlan. Yeah. And if you follow three, a football in this state, yep. if you follow football in the state, I mean, again, you talk about gold standards in yep. this class for going back a long, long time. I mean, those are, two of the premier programs in any class. So those are their two losses. And even in those losses, they put up 462 yards in that loss to Harlan and, you know, 310 last week against Xavier. And Hunter rushed for, you know, 165 and 208 and five touchdowns in those games. So this one, like I said, Video don't game overanalyze game. what you're looking at in the Kennedy game. 
this is going to be who has who 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 can get a couple stops and maybe who has the ball last, right? I mean, there are going to be points scored in this game, and maybe you're looking at maybe turnovers. You know, who can get off the who can get off the field in some third downs, and then what can what can uh, Clear Creek do against Hunter? I mean, I haven't seen him. I know they've got a big offensive line. Um, Dodge Souser, I think he plays center for them, but he's an interior lineman. He's an Iowa State commit. They're gonna they're gonna come at him, and I like Clear Creek's defense. I mean, I've you know we've talked about it. They've got some really they they really get to the football. T.J. Bowlers obviously is a is a difference maker on the defensive line. You got to account for him. So yeah, let's let's kick this thing off. We could play this tonight. Like I just, I'm really, I really am. Like I'm, I'm really excited to just see how this plays out. I know that's terrible analysis, right? To just be like, hey, I'm excited to watch him score a bunch of points, but I can't wait to watch this game. One thing I was going to ask you, and I apologize to the listeners and viewers for not knowing the young man's name, but they, there was a transfer in from Illinois for Clear Creek Amana who was ruled ineligible after, and I'm not going to go get on a soapbox here about, you know, how this has been handled by the state so far this year. Um, he missed last week was his first week out. Am I right, Ryan? And, and is, are they in a process of appealing? Where, where are we at with that? And, for because idiot me what's his name um i'm i'm looking right now because i know i'm gonna um i just have so many things written down and i know that i'm gonna say his first name i'm gonna say i'm gonna give him the wrong first name which is which i really mark mark gorbatenko um yeah he's last week was the first week i sorry i had to look that up because i i I just felt like like, you're gonna put me on the spot i'm gonna say the wrong i apologize we kind of it popped into my head and i'm figuring people would want to want to know about it right um yeah he was a defensive end um offensive tackle for them Um, i i don't want to what's that big kid i went out and shot photos he's he you yeah you notice him right away yeah he's he's a really impressive looking looking player i mean you know like his like physically like he 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 you want him getting off the bus first right him right behind bolt right behind uh, tj bowlers like you pull up and you park right next to the stadium and have those two guys walk off first um no he, i don't know where they're at in that process you know so i don't want to i don't want to talk about it or if they're you know i mean what they're doing but okay it's just and again we don't need to discuss go into that too but there was you know, several kids throughout the state or more than several that, that came in um, to play football in Iowa this year. And, and they were, they were recently ruled ineligible, I guess, if we're, if we're updating people, if somehow somebody doesn't know. Um, I think it's just know. screwy, Ryan, because you had kids that were ineligible at the beginning of the season that are now eligible and kids that were eligible at the beginning of the season that are now They're, ineligible. It just doesn't right. seem to be much rhyme or reason to all this. And I think that's, what's confusing for people. Know the I don't know the scenarios, the situations. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and there's there's definitely stories on both sides, et cetera. But it's just it's kind of a it's a it's a jumbled situation in a in a jumbled year, right? I mean, it's like when you look at everything that's going on. But unfortunate, like I'll just put it like unfortunate for all these kids. And you know how I am. Like I don't say that as like a oh you know. It's like I love watching kids have the opportunity to play high school sports you know, look at what we're doing, look at what we're talking about. So it's like, you'd like to be able to see those kids, see those kids play, you know, and that's not to. 
do what's parents, the state in their decision, but you obviously want kids to have the opportunity to play. So. Exactly. Do what's best for the kids, but you also have to follow rules. I get all that. We'll right. move on and we won't get up on our soapbox there to get people <laughs> mad at us. Um, and let's see. We're our next up on the on our list is two uh, A number nine Soling coming off the big win that we talked about on the Seven Nation podcast against rival Mount Vernon with another tough one on the road at Center Point Urbana. Uh, Solon's won four in a row. They can clinch the two A District Six title with this win, but the Storm and Pointers. Uh, is that right? Yeah, they are the Storm and Pointers. Oh, They've please. also won three in a row. We got it. Like, I really mean this. We have to talk about this just for a second. Elite, Rob, nick, nickname, and mascot, and logo for I all levels. I up there with the Savage Cobras. It is, like, I'm not, I know everybody jokes about it. It's, whoever designed this thing, and it's, it's incredible. Yeah. They're the Storm and Pointers. It's a dog in a tornado. Like, the logo is seriously, like, like, you see professional sports teams and college sports teams that spend millions of dollars on marketing and stuff. And center point Urbana has like the best logo, And they actually have a mascot, like a full suit that, that looks like professional. Like it could be like a minor league baseball mascot, you know, and like, and it's the dog in the suit. It's awesome. It re- like I'm, I, I know I'm, I'm, I am like, I'm having fun with it, but it's incredible. Storm and pointers. That's with the, the apostrophe. What is that? A, apostrophe, a sky comma. You know, it's not it's not storming ing. It's it's storming. Yeah, it's like it's the fighting fighting the line eye. Like right? storming and Norman. Yeah, no, it's great, but still not for me and my money. And I'm old school. If you can get savage in your name, savage. Is that, that's that's Sigourney Kyoto, right? Yes, Football. That's, to me, that's that's the bar is really high. But storming, storming yeah. pointers with the logo yeah. and the mascot. A lot of thought went into it. You have to appreciate it. Yeah, they, the whole thing wrapped together. The, the mask, the actual physical mascot that would scare my daughter to death. She's not like, my other two kids are big into like the mascot. She's just like, you know, <laughs> frightened by like Mr. Shucks and like all these, you know, it would scare her. But the actual My kids didn't mascot, like mascots either. My kids were anti-mascot. <laughs> Even the Iowa Cubs, like cute bear, right? No, nope. yeah. no interest in that thing. Yeah. Um, I just, the whole presentation. Yeah. They did a phenomenal job, but what are we talking here now that let's move on beyond the logos and the mascots and the names and, and get down to the, the nitty gritty here of this football game for a different playing What center points playing well. And that's, I mean, I think they've kind of established themselves in that, you know, last week was the de facto, um, district title game. I think in, in most people's minds between Mount Vernon and Solon, and, and Solon was really impressive in winning that. Like, I watched that one. Centerpoint, Urbana, this is one of those games for Solon. You know, it, whoever you are, you know, you, you talk about that trap-type game. You're coming off a big win. You're going on the road. You're thinking playoffs, especially in a year like this. You know you're in, but you're not sure how the playoffs going to work. You maybe get a little distracted with looking ahead. Do we get a bye? You know, like, what's this going to look like? Center point's good enough to beat you. They've kind of established themselves as that next um, – you know, they've won three in a row. I think they've established themselves as that next tier in this district. They lost to Mount Vernon in the district opener. And then if handily beaten, you know, the other district teams, Vinton, Shellsburg, Union, and South Tama in that district. So they're playing pretty well. 
Solon, obviously, we talked about that in the Seven Nation pod. They kind of formed that identity. They figured out who they were, going with that heavy package, you know, multiple tight ends and just yeah. trying to run the ball and really having success. And I mentioned this the other day. I'll mention it again. In district play, their rush, Solon's rushing totals have gone 405, 275, 304, 387. So they're averaging 343 rushing yards a game, scored 16 rushing touchdowns during that time. But what I think really kind of makes them upset proof in this game, Rob, and I look at this with other, with a lot of teams, that's great. Two things that I think really um, make them kind of upset proof here is center point Urbana in their, they started out 0-3. They averaged 126, or they they averaged 126 rushing yards per game in those three games. In their three straight wins, they've averaged 204. Solon, they're giving up 80 rushing yards a game on the year. In district play, last four games since they gave up, I think they gave up like I can look. Um, not that it's the most important thing in the world, but they gave up 187 to in a loss to Washington in week two. Um, since then, they haven't given up more than 86, and they're giving up 60 yards, rushing yards a game, and have given up one rushing touchdown in four district games. And so, that ability – So, so um, center point Urbana wants to run the ball. Solon, that plays into Solon hands. Yes. They've got a good quarterback. They can, they can mix it up on offense a little bit. But, again, I just think – we, I talked about this with West a little bit. I think they can make them one-dimensional mm-hmm. by taking away that run game. And that's – when you're putting up that many rushing yards a game and you're scoring points, and, you know, I wrote about it after that Mount Vernon game. It's like the offense always gets the praise, right? Oh, they've right. controlled the game offensively. The, hey, I, I interviewed an offensive lineman, Rob. I mean, I'm trying to give some guys some love for what they're doing. But even so, what goes overlooked with them is how good they've been defensively, especially against the run, which is where it really starts in high school football. And with them, they're good up front. Uh, ben Cusick, a defensive end, had a really nice game for them against Mount Vernon when they, when they did try to throw. But they're linebackers for a high school team. They've had, going back to, yeah. you know, the James Morris days, but even before that, someone's always had really good linebacker play since I've been here. And, and this year, Colton Hoffman, Lucas Tepole, um, Carson Shive, they have three really, really good 2A linebackers that all kind of fit a different mold you know they have like a, a true mike and shive and, and tipo can kind of play that hybrid spot a little bit but they're really good they've been really good against the run and then i'd have to double check this coach stanton if he listens to this which he probably won't because he's, he's busy game planning but if some people hear this i i'm i'm knocking on wood i think they've turned it over either once or twice this year and so that's the other thing that you know throughout a season it kind of becomes you know, i think turnovers are a little fluky you know, in at all levels, but through a season, when you watch it, whether it's forcing them or, or giving them up, it kind of becomes like an identity of a team. And they've been really good at taking care of the ball, especially with having a first year, you know, sophomore quarterback. Now, running the ball 85% of the time helps that, but I think, you know, they've had good decision making from their quarterback and, and good ball security, but that's something else that kind of makes them like, you know, probably jinxing them right here, but you don't worry too much about that trap game when you can really run the football stop the run and you don't turn it over. I mean, those are the big things that lead to upsets is, you know, things like that. And they've been so good in those areas that you kind of foresee them taking care of business. Yeah. Like we talked about, it seems like they found their identity. Um, Complimentary football, you know, you run the ball well, you control the clock, 
that you, you put less stress on your defense. It all plays together. Uh, people, I think, sometimes uh, don't pay enough attention to that when a team's very good at complementary football. And it seems like Solon's getting there. Absolutely. And, and, you know, you throw special teams into that, which is a really hard thing in high school football when you're talking about you don't have you don't have unlimited time to practice. Right. I mean, nobody has unlimited time, but you talk about all the things you're trying to get to in a practice. They've gotten a lot better um, in special teams the last couple of times I've seen them. And then, you, like you said, you throw that in. They're totally comfortable, you know, punting the ball away, playing field position a little bit. Um, you know, they scored a lot of points last week and finished drives, but the week before that against Vinton Shellsburg, they, they had some trouble finishing drives. But it's like for them being up, 14-6, you know, whatever it is, but by a, a, a eight points, you know, two two score type thing. It feel they're one of those teams that feels like more than that because they can take, like you said, they can take four or five minutes off off of the clock, you know, with one drive, and it doesn't. They can just kind of bleed that clock down. You saw it with the first drive of the game last week. I know you were there. It's like yeah. they get the kickoff, and I think Mount Vernon touched the ball on their and change left after half of the quarter you know, with one touchdown drive. And that's the type of thing that you do that, you let your defense play a little bit. You've said it well, the complimentary football, they've kind of figured out how, how, to, how to play to their strengths on both sides of the ball and make each side of the ball make the other side better. And you put pressure on the other team's offense too when they know they're not going to get as many possessions and makes, it, it, it creates more of a sense of urgency for them when they have the ball. So, Right. All right, from Solon at uh, the Stormin pointers we move to uh we're going up to Dyersville the field of dreams where four and two West Branch who's won four in a row uh is at uh, four and one Dyersville Beckman uh who's also won four in a row and unbeaten in district play did Beckman lose a game to COVID they did so they they started and I'm probably gonna mess this up a little bit but they were supposed to play Regina that was when Regina picked up the Pleasant Valley game Okay, so um, the so, first game of the year. Yep. So they started, I think, in quarantine. Well, yeah, that would have been week one. So they started, or I shouldn't say that. I'm presuming that they started with some some concern, COVID concerns, okay. some scheduling changes. I'm trying to just cover cover my bases here. I haven't like, you know, that was a long time ago, and like we talked about in the in the last pod, so many things change on the fly now that you know. But they they had some issues with that. They lost a game to Anamosa. I think that was a regular scheduled game for them, but that might have been an addition. I, I, I'm, I'm not positive. Um, and then they've been really good. This is another game this week, like I said. This is a really good game, too. I, there's a lot of good games this week. We picked a good week to start doing this. But I think these are two really even teams. They played last year, um, and I think West Branch got them by a couple touchdowns, I believe. Um, I don't know if I had that on my notes or not, but – we talked about this a little bit the other day, and I didn't have the numbers in front of me, Rob. I felt like when I watched West Branch in that Wilton game, you could just see, like, we talked about it with Stolen, but you could just see the light bulb come mm -hmm. on a little bit when they kind of said, "Here, not just playing better, but here's what we are. You know, and again, we've talked about this a lot with our teams, and I say it all the time, but it's very true. We have so many good coaching staffs in this area. You know, West Branch obviously is in that situation with Coach Peterson and his staff. But they, they lost so many guys from last year's team, so many seniors, and they brought back guys, difference makers in really key spots, Gavin Hirschman at quarterback, Jeff Bowie on the lines. But you're kind of 
you're still kind of figuring out how all these other guys fit in and right. what they were. I watched them in week three lose to Cascade, and I think they threw it 49 times. And I just kind of felt like – and that you mentioned it. They fell behind 21-0. They had a pick six, and you mentioned kind of the game flow. Mm-hmm. You kind of fall into some of that stuff sometimes. But that's not the way that West Branch wants to play. Yeah. And I think that week after that, they kind of figured out what they were. And it started for them – you talked about the complimentary football with Solon. I think it, even more so with West Branch. They figured out what they were, and it, it starts for them on defense. Those, the last three games start with that Wilton game. They've given up 169, 259, and 235 yard, total yards. So they're giving up like 220 yards a game their last three games. And you consider that the game they gave up 259, that was the game at uh, Maquoketa Valley. I didn't watch it. You know, I don't have the, the play-by-play in front of me. But – I know they were up big at halftime of that game. I mean, the, the game was decided in the first two quarters. So I'm guessing a lot of those 259 yards were, you know, played against were, – were put up when the game wasn't on the line. You know, mm-hmm. there's probably some, some young, some JV kids in, some second stringers. So when you really look at what they've done when they've been out – when their, you know, first-team defense has been out there, they've been really impressive. And then offensively, they have a really good – senior quarterback in Gavin Hirschman. And this is two of probably the better 1A quarterbacks around because Nick Offerman from Dyersville Beckman is having a really good year. Uh, he's thrown for almost 900 yards, rushed for 303 yards. And then this is interesting. They've scored 20 offensive touchdowns, and he's had a hand in 18 of them. So he's thrown for 11 and rushed for eight. So it's pretty simple, right? You just make sure he doesn't score any touchdowns. <laughs> That seems pretty obvious that he's the guy that you're keying on. He's probably at the top of the scouting report. Right, yeah. And, I mean, and Gavin Hirschman's a similar type player as far as importance to the offense. Mm -hmm. They've gotten a lot better at running the ball. I mentioned it last week. They have a sophomore running back that they really like, Andy Henson. He had 170 yards last week. I'm pretty sure that's a career high. He had 30 carries, which I'm I'm almost positive is a career high. Um, So they've gotten better at that. But, again, it's for them it starts with defense. Get, setting them up with some field position, getting their offense in good situations, and then letting your senior quarterback make good decisions. And Gavin Hirschman is a really good quarterback. He's I had I had the Gavin's numbers here. Uh, over a thousand yards passing, eight touchdowns. He's run for seventy eight yards and four touchdowns. Missed a game with injury. Really was just he played that Cascade game, and I thought he played pretty well. Um, he just didn't leave the pocket a lot. You know, and I don't know where he was at with his with his injury or whatever, but looked a lot better in that Wilton game and ran some in that game. And I think they've been able to keep him, um, you know, kind of from being from being really heavily involved in their run game. I think they've been able to be successful without doing that. But hopefully, um, he's healthy enough going forward that if they need to have him run it, you know, in their whether it's their you know, they're out of the shotgun a lot, whether it's in their zone read game or, or RPO game or, or just straight quarterback runs or scrambling, that they can do that. Because last year, he was a really dynamic runner for them. So starter on the baseball team, starter on the basketball team, really good kid. But he brings a different element when he's healthy. So those two quarterbacks on Saturday, that would be another good kind of, you know, you say matchup, they're on the field at, at different times doing their thing. But which of those senior quarterbacks can kind of be on top of their game? Friday, I think this is Saturday, kind of Friday. That might be kind of the difference in that one. 
pretty balanced offenses, Ryan. They both seem like they have pretty balanced offenses. They do. And that's something that I think West Branch, like when I first got here, it was like West Branch had that in 2013, West Branch had that reputation as, you know, four yards of cloud of dust, yeah. you know, and they've had some really good quarterbacks over the past couple of years, but they really, this year it's kind of been the opposite, Rob, is they've, they always had the ability to throw the ball and they have a lot of targets this year, a lot of new kids, a lot of sophomores um, or first year varsity guys as pass catchers, but they have a senior that went out this year, Simon Palmer. He's a really good basketball player. He's 6'3", 6'4". He gives them a really good element in the passing game. And then uh, Andy Henson, their running back, is really good at catching the ball out of the backfield. So they were – you saw them have success throwing it early um, against Tipton in their first game. And then, you know, Gavin missed a game um, against West Liberty, but then throwing it against Cascade. And for them this year, it's kind of been the opposite where they had to kind of work into that getting some of those younger linemen tinkering with their, you know, with their run game a little bit to figure out how to best do that. But since they've kind of hit their stride on that, again, it goes back to that complimentary football. They've been able to rely on, you know, some longer drives, some more time consuming drives and let their defense be the focus of their game. Cause I think we mentioned it last week, but their defense, I mean, they've got a guy with Bowie who, you know, you've watched as an Iowa commit and, and just watched him as a, as a high school player too, he's a guy that is an opponent. You, you have to know where he's at in one, a football. I mean, he can absolutely wreck a game plan. If you, if you're going to just like, you know, we're going to, he's plays deep. They line him up at defensive end. If you just say like, Hey, we're going to have our tackle block this guy. Like he can absolutely wreck what you're trying to do. Um, he's that disruptive. And then they also have some really good linebackers. Kale Fitterline is a senior linebacker. That's had a great year for them. He's also a really good kicker as well, which, you love that high school combination of like offensive tackle or offensive lineman slash linebacker slash kicker. And he wears like 51, I think. So you see the, you know, but, but he actually is a heck of a kicker. He's not Does like he kick straight on. No, he's a okay. good, I mean, he's, but it's just, you see that in high school where it's like, I'm always writing down who's kicking extra points. And you're like, all right, 77 lines up for the point after, you know, or 92. Um, but, but I'm not going to run a fake with him. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not unless it's like straight up the middle because he's a really physical kid, but you're not going to try to get to the corner. But no, and, and looking at it on paper, Beckman looks like they're the same way. The Beckman teams of, of, of past have always been run oriented. Um, they've had some good eye backs the last couple of years. And this year it's obviously kind of built around Offerman, who's their senior quarterback. But I'd be surprised if they didn't you know, want to come out and run the football as well. So I think that's kind of the key for West Branch. You set it up well by talking, you know, about other teams, about Solon, but they've kind of built it around their defense late and and then let their offense kind of do their thing as they get in, as they got that running game kind of going. And now, you know, you're into what will be week eight next week after this week, and you're hopefully have you're hopefully playing your best. So, which I think is where they're at. That's another one that should be exciting. A lot of good games this week. And we'll wrap things up with um, one and four Highland at third ranked class A Regina, which is five and one, has won five in a row uh, by a combined score of 229 to 84. Uh, already the district champions. Um, this one, at least on paper, looks, looks like uh, it, it's, it, it would take a lot for the Regals not to come out of this one with another win. It- we talked about this last week when I kind of said, hey, they're probably, in my eyes, they're the team to beat. 
in A. Regina's just, they're, they're good. You know, we talked, again, coaching staff, everything you're looking for. But they're just quarterback, ex- experience. Quarterback, good running yep. game, good receivers, yep. tough defense. Yeah, they, they seem to have it all. They're playing, and they're playing really well. You know, I mean, that's the thing, too, is they're, you know, again, like I mentioned with Solon, we, we talked about this last week. How many teams do we have that have won three in a row, won four in a row, won five in a row? They, they seem to be – and they've done that for years. There's people always talk about it. You don't always do it. They've done a really good job of playing their best games to get to the Unidome or at the Unidome. They've kind of got that down to a science. You know, they're used to that longer season, how to handle that. But a couple notes I took on them. They've given up 15 – so you look at the scores. And, and they've always done a really good job. And this is something that has been really fun to talk to their coaches about. They do a really good job of getting – when they have the opportunity, which in some lopsided games, which they've had, they do a really good job of getting quality reps mm. for one through however many they dress. Right. And then that next year, those kids have had some game reps. And then they get a few more game reps. And, they, you know, and that's kind of how you build that tradition that they have, getting those kids experience. But they've given up 15 points in the first half of district games this year. So, <coughs> excuse me, they've obviously been dominant. So, I mean, if you look at some of the final scores, they've given up some points here and there, but only 15 of those. And I think 12 of those came in that Lisbon game. So I think in their other three district games, they've given up a field goal in the first half. So they've really been dominant. And then offensively, the thing, their, their numbers are great. 40.3 points a game, 419 yards a game. They're averaging – 7.6 yards per play on the season, over nine in their four district games. And they've been over 10 in two of those district games, which is, I mean, it's incredible if, you, if you're into that stat. You know, I mean, you're averaging a first down every time you snap it. Right. But what I like most about them offensively, Rob, is the balance. We talked about this on the last pod with Theo Coley in the backfield, but you can't get much better than this. They're averaging 420 yards, give or take a game, 195 rushing, 224 passing. And I mean, that's, you know, maybe some coaches would say I'd rather average 300 rushing and 100 passing, but that's pretty, I mean, we talked about it, Ashton Cook, senior quarterback, Alec Wick, great receiver, but when you can be that close to 50-50 on, on how you get your yards, you're just, you're really tough for a high school defense to, to stop. I mean, you, you don't have a lot of things that you can key on. And I think that's the biggest key for them right now is they're playing well but they have a lot of options. They can beat you a lot of ways. So Yeah, yeah that's uh, like we talked about, I think, on Monday on the Seven Nation. It's, it's that balance that's, that stresses a defense and makes it much, much tougher to prepare for. Um, so, you know, we can do this. The, coach, the Regina coaches won't do this. They'll act like they're playing the 85 Bears to their players because they want them to, to be sharp and at their best. But in a game like this, as you're moving towards the playoffs, Ryan, what are you trying to accomplish as a team? Because let's just assume that what we see on paper is Regina's going to get out to a big lead here. What, what do you hope to accomplish in a week like this to get yourself best prepared for the playoffs? Well, I know, like I said, they've done a great job of getting guys reps. But right. what they're trying to do is, you know, maybe see how some guys handle some different situations. Mm-hmm. If you can, you know, put some guys in some different spots. But then – and I. We, again, I don't, I, without seeing the bracket, you don't know exactly how it's going to work. And this year is a little bit different. I think that's a great point, Robin. And I, it would be interesting to talk to some of these coaches about it. They're going into this week, 
and they don't know what it's going to look like. Because in past years, you know, if you in week nine, if we win and we're in, we play next week at seven o'clock. You know, right. for this week, you could be going, hey, we're not positive. Like we might not play next week. We might play the week after that, which creates a different like. You, everybody likes a buy. I should say a lot of people do. So we feel like we're maybe rusty off that. What do we do for those you know, 10, 13 days? What I'm sure, what I'm guessing, I'm not going to say sure, but what I'm guessing their emphasis is, is let's be really sharp. I mean, if we're going to have, if you guys are going to get 35 snaps, you know, let's make sure we have 35 really good snaps and we really feel good about where we're at, um, you know, going into next week. If that's a game, that game becomes, you know, every game from that point on becomes potentially your last game. So let's be ready to play our best. And if that's a, if that's a bye week for a team like that, that's a district champion, let's make sure that we go into that feeling good about where we were at. You know, I mean, I think the worst thing that can happen in a game like this is, you know, you slog. You, I, mean, you, I mean, I don't want to say that they couldn't lose. Like, let's be honest. I mean, it's sports, right? right. But I think the worst thing that can happen is if you, you don't feel good. The worst thing that can happen in a win is you don't feel good about how you got there, right? You know, right. so I think they're probably putting an emphasis on let's really feel good about where we're at. And then, you know, if you get – and that's the other thing, too, is even in the seven-game season, you know this, there's going to be some bumps and bruises that aren't necessarily injuries, but getting some of these kids some rest sometimes isn't always, isn't always the worst thing either, you know. Maybe not for the teams that had a three-week break. Maybe for those teams you just want as many reps as you can possibly get. But in 2020 – and, and, I mean, we should bring that up, too. I'll, I'll never stop saying this. I don't care if people tell me to stop saying this. In, 20, in this year, I just enjoy it, man. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, we can talk all this analysis or whatever, but hopefully they go out there and they have a great time playing high school football because who knows what's going to happen next week, right? right? I mean, so. But I think that's the biggest thing is you try to be really sharp with what you're doing, maybe put some guys in, in some different positions that you could see them being in in a couple of weeks. but. Try to be really, really efficient with what you do. Clean football. Don't turn it over. Yeah. No, not yeah. a lot of, you know, limit penalties, things like that. Yeah, that makes a lot right. of sense. Um, let's close with this, Ryan. And I don't know how, again, I'm throwing something at you that, you, that we didn't discuss have before it. the pod. But um, you, you've mentioned it a few times, just the uncertainty of what this playoff thing is going to look like. What, what will, when will people find things out to the best of your knowledge? And what will they find out? So – after we talked the other day, I went and read like some stuff that I, I tried to get more up to it. It sounds like they're going to be out. Like, I know in past you, you probably remember this. I'm get, yeah. I'm going to go veer off courses. But you probably remember from your days covering preps. And I'm even in Nebraska, when I worked out in Nebraska, I remember doing this. You get home on Friday night, you do your stuff from that week nine or whatever. And then you just start waiting and right. you're like refreshing and refreshing. And I remember it was a couple of years ago. Like I went to bed at like five o'clock. I think they came out at like three, four in the morning. The state said this year, like, go to bed, get some sleep. Like, don't worry about it. Parents, coaches, you know, fans, media people, whatever. No, around noon, I think on Saturday, they hope to have the, the pods or the, the that first round pairings out. So you'll be able to see. And the way I understand it is, and if I'm wrong, somebody, I mean, I could be corrected, but the way I understand it is, you're going to kind of look, they're going to kind of announce two rounds of matchups at a time, if that makes sense. So you'll have, you know, hypothetically um, four team pods or, you know, what could be, I guess, three team pods, right? If you have a team receiving a buy. Um, sure. Well, that makes so, sense. You know, team A 
you know, has a buy and then team B and C play with the winner playing team A. And you'll have those released. So you'll be able to see your first two opponents or your first, you know, for that next Friday. Playoffs, it sounds like will remain on Fridays. Or, or I know that that's the case, you know, so you'll play each Friday up to the Unidome. So they don't, we don't have the, you know, Thursday, Wednesday, Monday schedule anymore. You just yeah. go on Fridays. And, but by Saturday afternoon, we should see some clarity. Um, and then it sounds like each, after that two week, after those two rounds are completed, if that makes sense, then you'll have like a new pod um, based on geography uh, as much as they can, as well as obviously, you know, regular season. So you're not going to have, you know, two seven and zero teams playing in week one, presumably. You know, right. you'll have like like opponents playing as far as whether that's like you know, district four and fives playing. You know, with with uh, playing each other in the first round with a bye for the other team in that pod. If I'm making any sense, I don't. No, you, it's, no, it's kind of it's kind of complicated. Is geography going to be for this year going to be the the where where they start? I mean. I mean, there's, there are various components that have, have to go in. Like you said, you don't want two seven on teams playing in the first round of the playoffs. But also with this many teams, I mean, ge- geography's got to be a pretty big consideration. Yeah, and they've said a lot. They've used a lot of the same language that they have in the past where it's like we're going to try to avoid, um, you know, regular season matchups mm-hmm. or within district matchups and things like that. And, and I, think, I think it's smart to do it the way that they do it, truthfully, where they – they put that language in, but it's not the hard, like, if you played, like, two district teams cannot play. Like, they're not saying that. You know, there, there's scenarios where that could probably happen, right? You know, like, um, I think what they're looking at is in this kind of – in this situation that we're in, this 2020 year, however you want to describe it, in this, you know, pandemic year, what they're saying, you might not send him an hour. Like, we're not going to just necessarily line up, like, this district number four plays this district number five, kind of like they used to do and just cross it up where it's like, if, if these, if two teams are a four and a four or a five and a five or a three and a three, for example, they might just have them play if they're 15 minutes, you know, rather than send them half an hour or send them an hour and a half away. If that makes, if that makes sense. But I think they're going to try to start with, um, and I'm just going to use this as a generic example, Rob. If you, they're going to try to start with like an eight-team tournament, like a one versus eight, you know, a two versus seven, they're going to try to seed it that way, the way you would traditionally see it just a normal – or if you had a normal one through four bracket and you had a one seed, the one would play the four and the two and the three would play. So I think they're going to try to keep it that way, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. with the ability to be, to be flexible. So it's not going to start with geography and say, hey, we're going to keep all these teams together. They're going to try to seed it as much as they can based on record – in regular season district finish and things like that. And then, you know, in 4A, they don't have districts this year because they were going to go with the uh, um, – I'm trying to figure out how deep I want to go into this, anyone that's listening. But people that are listening, high school football fans, have read about all this for the last eight or nine months. And they were going to go with this kind of success model um, in 4A. So they were getting away from the district model, and it was going to be more games against liked opponents and, and things like that. So mm-hmm. – I'm not exactly sure how they'll do 4A. I'm sure it'll be similar to what I said, where you're looking at, we're just going to kind of rank these teams, right? You know, so we have these top 10, top 15 teams that we want to keep away from each other. And hypothetically, 4A is a little bit easier as well, because you have less, you have less teams to start with, you know, because ultimately you're just trying to get those teams down to 16 teams or eight teams or four teams. And that's the tricky part is 
you know, when you have an odd number of teams, like if you have 54 teams in a class like 2A or whatever, like how do you get that down to that even bracket number of like 32 or 16 or so you just have the same number advancing each week. Um, so it'll be interesting. And I'm probably butchering this and everybody can tell me that I've screwed it all up, but I'm well, trying to read it and keep it as, keep it as, as concise as I can, I guess. Hopefully, hopefully that cleared everything up for everybody and they know exactly what's going on and can make their plans for the playoffs. And, and I should, I should say though, you know, I mean, I really mean this, the boys and, and girls union sites are great resources. Yes. You know what I mean? Like they, they really are. I, I mean that, I mean, get on there. They're, they're really transparent where when they put this stuff out, when they put an announcement, they post it up there and you can read the same, you know, verbiage, the same language and it, that I do. Um, I try to enter, and there's a lot of people in media that have done a really good job of, of breaking this down and, and kind of, cause it's all about, it's just like coaching Rob or, or parenting or whatever. It's all about what you know, and then translating that to people that, right. in a way that they can understand it. Right. So it's out there. You can read it. Um, I just, I'm already angry with myself with the word salad that I just threw at everyone <laughs> trying to, trying to, trying to uh, explain it. I, I probably could have made, said that in like, half as many words and made it clear but no, think pot think pods i guess you know think of you're getting four teams in your group um and you got to get past these two games and you'll be able to see who your next round opponent is um what i'm not real sure on and maybe i've just missed this is the buys you know what i mean so i i don't think they've officially announced like district champions get buys maybe they have maybe i've missed that but that that seems pretty straightforward in those classes that have districts 3A and downs that, that you're champion. But again, I couldn't tell you how many pods there's going to be, how many districts there are for every class. I think there's, you know, eight or nine, but I don't have every class, everyone in front of me. Um, so take a look at that if you want. That stuff's all available, all available to you. So I'm the expert, but I just don't know what I'm talking about. So there you go. I will say this. I think this playoff format lines up with what we've experienced in 2020. And that is to say, don't look too far ahead. Just worry about maybe next week and the week after, and then don't look too far ahead of what might happen in the playoffs. Just take it week by week, day by day. And uh, as Ryan said, on Saturday around noon, you'll find out, you know, just initially those initial pods and then go right. And I should ask you, Rob, I'll ask you this really quickly as we're, as I'm going to make this thing drag on longer, but I think it was a really good move. To, to construct the playoffs in the manner that they have this year. I mean, I think when you're looking at this a year like this and you're starting the season and you're not positive how many, and we've seen it, how many games each, I mean, we were talking about that Dyersville Beckman um, West Branch game. West Branch missed a district game. Northeast had to cancel. They picked up Maquoketa Valley. So, you know, you're comparing Dyersville Beckman played Northeast. So I don't know exactly how they're going to do that, but there's, there's common sense ways to do it. You know, like if, if West Branch wins, you know, they, have, they would be, what, four and one in district, I think. And, and that would be the same district record that Beckman has because Beckman's undefeated in district. They're four and oh, but they lost a non-district game. You know what I mean? So you look at it and you're like, how do you determine a champion? But there's probably some ways that they can look into that and figure that stuff out. But how do you determine district champions if people didn't play? And at the start of the year, you didn't know who was going to miss out on games, you know, who was going to, what was going to happen. So you kind of had to let everybody into the playoffs, but I think everything considered, you know, I think sometimes you have to give 
credit where it's due. I think the union made a really good move by the way they've done it. Because they, as we, as me and you have talked about just off the podcast, everybody's dealing with a lot of stuff on the fly right now, right? And just things be happy change. You're they, playing, right? Just be happy yeah. that you're competing yes. at this point. And they had to make that decision in this summer or spring summer not knowing exactly what the fall was going to look like, not knowing what was going to happen with schedules, and they had to come up with a plan. Things change. I like it. I mean, I think there's some things that you could maybe look at that you maybe, you know, keep with this format going forward. I mean, yeah. you know, there's, there's certainly an argument in every other sport that you can go 0-20 in basketball and you get a first-round just regional game. Like, you have a chance to make it to the state tournament. You know, you have a chance to win it all. And, you know, the, the argument opposite that in football is, you can play a basketball game on Friday night and then you can turn around and play again in the next round on Monday. Right. And you, you can't do that with football. So how do you schedule it all in? But I think the idea that you allowed every team to get as many up to seven games in as they can. And I should mention the state also announced this week, um, if you lost games due to COVID or the duration earlier, mm-hmm. um, um, that you could potentially add a game with an opponent after you're eliminated from the postseason, which okay. I thought was a, which I thought was a fantastic move as well. Right. I mean, again, giving kids the opportunity to compete and play sports. I mean, you'll never convince me that that's, you know, that that's a bad thing. Giving kids, and you're out there, I'm out there. We watch these kids play and you watch them enjoy it. And you know, that's what it's all about. We can talk about it all the time, but you, you see kids, you know, win or lose and, and some of the things that they, that they learned from this. And that was another discussion is, you know, with the teams not playing, um, I'll, I'll, I won't talk for long, but I do want to say that I'm going to say this really quick, Rob. No, go ahead. I, I had a conversation with um, Ryan Ehlers, city high cross country coach last week. He's co-coach with his wife, Lynn. And I told multiple people this during the discussion of, you know, whether sports should be playing. And a lot of people brought up the, the thing, you know, this, these sports mean a lot more to kids than just your know, wins and losses. And some sure. kids really oh, rely yeah. on this things in their life. And I'm not getting on either side, either way. I'm really not. It was, there's tough decisions to be made for people within a pandemic and sending kids to school and playing sports. Like I, none of those things are things I take lightly. But what I pointed out to people is if you know the story of the city high girls cross country program and how many girls they have out each year. I mean, you see seven girls run varsity. They routinely under Tom Mittman had more than a hundred girls on that team. And how many lives were influenced by being on that team, by coaches like coach Mittman and the Aylers and just how many young women gained opportunities. And, and, you know, the same can be said at West high with coach Mike Parker and how many kids they've had in that program that it goes well beyond, you know, running in, in times and everything. And so I shared that with coach Aylers last week and, that was one example that came up to, in my mind when I thought of the benefits that kids get from being out for sports that don't really show up on the news or get talked about. And we're on here talking about football. You know, we talk about it, but there's a ton of kids that have a major, that their life is majorly impacted by those types of programs. You know, it's not just that cross country doesn't get the coverage. I mean, we, I, like me and you both spend a lot of time out at the cross country course, you know, and I love talking to those coaches, but I just don't think a lot of people realize how many kids go out for those teams and never run a varsity race. And they choose to go out because of the impact that those coaches have on them. And I, I just think that that's a really impressive thing that those programs do that, that doesn't get noticed that much. And there's a reason that 
you know, kids kept coming back to those teams and continue to go back to those teams. So I think it is something that, that can be a really big positive in people's life. And we have to remember that when we're, when we're talking about, you know, these decisions that the state makes or whatever. And that's why when I saw that, I was like, you know, if, if a couple of programs take advantage of that and add that extra game, great. I'm all for it. So. Yeah, I'm done, man. For about, it's about the kids, and it should be, and that's what this—that's what this podcast is going to be about. So, absolutely. Um, Except when I'm just going off the rails and talking, then it's <laughs> then it's all about making everybody listen to what I have to say. No, that's what the podcast is for. People tune in, download, upload, whatever the heck it is to listen, yep. and hopefully they'll listen to this and. Um, Enjoy Friday night football, the last week of the regular season. We've got you prepared for that, hopefully, with this podcast. And we will be back next Monday with the Seven Nation podcast. Um, so our plan now is to go on Mondays and Wednesdays with these, at least yeah. during football. And we may adjust beyond that. But uh, thank you very much for listening. And um, we'll be back on Monday. Enjoy Friday night football. For Ryan Merkin of Your Prep Sports, this is Rob Howe. We'll talk to you soon.